We are in our next conversation about Jewish mindful living, the way of addressing living responsibly with a certain sense of spiritual maturity around exploring midot, exploring the aspects of one's character that one can work on if one wants to become more mature. And I would say it's not just spiritually, right? Obviously, like it's all connected, like psychologically, emotionally, like uh, spiritually, like I think spiritual gets this label of like, oh, it's something out there that like, you know, you feel good about, but it doesn't really matter. That is not how Judaism has worked for thousands of years as a system. Judaism has worked for thousands of years as a system because it says, mm-mm. It's a path of rigor. It's a path of vigor. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, please note, we need to put that on our website somewhere that I just cloned that term. Um, So it's about being disciplined and it's about really applying the discipline to our everyday lives. And any spiritual tradition of any heft, any spiritual tradition that really matters in people's daily lives, like that's not about crazy whatever, takes this seriously, the idea that we apply the values, the morals, of course. But deeper than that, we look and we seek to really amplify our ability to lean into whichever midah, whichever spiritual aspect, whichever personality aspect we need to address at the time, whichever one is called for in the moment. That's the work, right, of being a spiritually aware person, a responsible person, an ethical person, uh, a person that people turn to, a a person that people can trust. Uh, And Judaism has a long history of teaching us how we should be in the world, in relationship, in our own relationship to ourselves, particularly where it gets challenging. Like, how do we do that? Jews are good at that. Jews are good at challenging. Like where it gets challenging, what do we do? How do we behave? Where can we lean in? What's the language for that? And what I care about in this course that we're doing together is how do we develop a language and an understanding? How do we start to access some of the texts from our incredibly rich, deep, really deep tradition uh, about how to work in this world, especially right now in America, 2019, today. Right? It's never more needed than right now, today. I was with a group of rabbis today. We talked about um, anti-Semitism, but not the way you think. Um, We talked about the first time in our history, for the first time ever, um, anti-Semitism is dividing us as a people, not bringing us together. That's how polarized and how fractioned our community is that and that's a whole nother conversation which I think I will love to bring to you at some point Um, but really understanding that we are so divided even within the Jewish people that a lot of this practice is about okay so how do I settle down how do I calm down how do I live mindfully and what does Judaism have to say to me about that so general mindfulness practice is we shut up we sit down or lie down, or in some cases when I would travel and go, I'll oh, stay awake for this. My teacher said, stand up. 
with your wall against the back, like just uh, with the uh, just just stand up. Like you you if you're gonna fall asleep, the practice doesn't mean anything. So stand up. So. Um, So we're going to do that. We're going to just do that because that's what we need to get used to is really doing the practice. So we're going to take a moment. All of us, if I invite you, you don't have to because it's all about like whatever we want to lean into. It's not about have to. I invite us to uncross limbs. Listen, listen to the sound. My eyes are closed, so I don't see you. Don't worry. Listen to the sound of how many uncrossed limbs just happened, right? Because our tendency is to guard. We guard by sitting like this. We guard by sitting with a leg over like the regions that every dog in the world knows to protect, right? You, you don't expose like, any of that until you trust or want to earn the trust of the, of the being that you're exposing that to. We, we, we guard. So one of the teachings is about opening up and just, just noticing, uncrossing so that energy gets to flow through, the muscles get to relax if you want to think of it in the physical realm, the physical plane. Let's just take a moment to uncross to not sit in our habitual postures. Take just a moment to notice, is there any place where there's hurting, aching, tension, holding? Any place where we're grabbing out of a sense of fill in the blank. The teaching is to take a breath and breathe into, actually, and a massage therapist, a good massage therapist will tell you this. Thank God for them. Breathe into that place. So I invite you to just scan the body. Is there a place that there's holding or tension or grabbing or grasping or sucking in? pushing out, leaning over, just explore. And the whole practice of mindfulness is about not judging what we find. That's hard. So we take a moment, we will sit for 30 seconds, just noticing where we are when we get quiet, when we uncross what comes up, We don't have to tell a story about it. We can just notice it. It can go away. But we'll just sit for a moment noticing what happens without going into a big story. Does anyone just want to lift up something? Like what what just happened for anybody? Anything that you just want to say just happened? Like just, what do you notice, Linda? You were waving to Marsha. Okay. So one of the things we love to do is greet one another. That's a good thing. We are building community. We love that. And Marsha's like, I'm so embarrassed I came in late and I interrupted the silence. And then she goes into a lot of judgment. Had I left earlier? Had I planned better? Had like, and like, uh, I'm not, obviously it's not, but this is where we go. This is where we go. Mindfulness practice is about, okay, noticing Marsha's here. It's good that she made the choice to be here. Lori's yawning. How many of you yawned the minute we got quiet and settled down? Cecile says me. Uh, oh, Goldstein says me. Are you kidding? We're, 
she's young, she's vibrant. But what happens the minute we actually sit down and get quiet and uncross and open, we often yawn because we realize we're actually exhausted. We're exhausted. And if you add stressed about money, about health, about anything to exhausted, add, for me, just add hungry, and you have a very, very toxic and serious combination of things going on that I have to execute all kinds of mindfulness (laughs) to hold and handle, right? Often in meditation, people fall asleep. And when I said to my teacher, like, and to be fair, I was coming from Minnesota all the way out to California. So when it's really early in the morning and I'm not used to getting up at four o'clock in the morning to show up at a seminar at whatever time dressed and presentable, I would fall asleep in meditation. I said, it's so frustrating. I I can't get what I need to get out of the meditation and out of the practice because I'm falling asleep. And my teacher in her great, discerning, amazing wisdom said, you might want to check in with yourself about how exhausted you are. Right? And of course, time change, we know that. But but I'm talking like, (laughs) asleep. What does it mean that we could actually sit here on our own time? And if I gave you, and I do every week, we do an hour of meditation, almost, like whatever, um, 45 minutes um, a week here on Fridays, um, people fall asleep in that meditation. We are exhausted, and we don't pay attention to how tired we are. And then we add hungry, and then we add frustrated, and then we add anxious, and then we add and we add and we add, and then we expect to perform as rational, understanding, compassionate, responsive, not reactive, responsive human beings. Really pay attention to how tired you are. That's my first opening line about being a spiritual grown-up is that we need to have better sleep hygiene. We all need to clean up our sleep hygiene in big ways. And I think for our whole families to turn stuff off earlier. It doesn't mean we stop engaging. You don't have to go to sleep earlier. But what you do is you help sleep happen. You help sleep be possible. You help sleep be healing and productive by having good sleep hygiene. And we have terrible sleep hygiene in this culture. I am the first one to admit, I love to do the last thing before I go to bed. What do you think it is? Watching Fauna! (laughs) Watching a show about terrorism! And the tensions between Jews and all kinds of people in the Middle East because it's in Hebrew. I can get my language skills up. I watch the English. So it's like happening when I don't even know it. And it's so complicated, which is great. It's sophisticated, which is great. And I will come to my congregation with a much better conversation because blah, 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 blah. That's what we do, right? This is your rabbi telling you, I get it. I totally get it. Like, we have to figure out a way to be less tired because we can't respond. We can mostly react when we're exhausted. 
All right, I'm not going to belabor this because we have really good stuff from our tradition to look at. So you have the new handout from this week. And if I say this week and last week, just, just, just put in your mind this time, last time, because I, it's just a language thing that I don't seem to understand very well. So you have the Ehyeh packet, which is the green packet. That was from the first class. If you already have it, please pass it to Bert. <laughs> He's going to collect it. The president's job. <laughs> He's going to collect it for me. If you already have it, give it to Bert. If you don't already have it, please keep it because that was our first conversation. We're now in our second conversation. So if you'll recall, our first conversation... But I don't want you to think the first part of this was not appropriate or a part of the curriculum. We are talking about how to live meaningfully and mindfully. So we have to bring both these texts and our teachings and our insights into them, but also bring them into our current situation and really talk about, okay, what are the challenges, right, about that? And I think one of them is our exhaustion and, um, frankly, our no longer understanding how it is and when it is we're supposed to eat. That could just be me. But, like, I'm like, wait, when are we supposed to eat? And who provides that meal? And, like, wait, how's that going to happen? And I don't know about your house, Goldstein, but in my house, like, it's, you too, it's crazy, right? It's, Tabashnikov, it's crazy, isn't it? All right. So we talked last week about Ain Sof. The never-ending beginningness of no beginning, because there's no time. There's no essence. There's just ain't so. There's just limitlessness. There is unending ain't so. That's what we talked about last week. That's what you've got in your lap. Yeah, a couple off for tomorrow. Rabbi Arthur Green, uh, an amazing teacher of Torah. Um, that's where we were last week. So if you still have stuff left over from that, I'm ready to have a private meeting with you about that, or we can talk about it at the end of class. We are going to now move on to um, what we talked about being the uh, understanding of the Kabbalists of an emanation from Ein Sof. Um, we talked about there being... Well, actually, we didn't probably... Um, there was only Ein Sof. We, we only talked about Ein Sof and people's reactions to that and, and our understanding of, is that God? Is that the divine? What does that mean? People having challenges with that. People not having challenges with that. Whatever. Okay, Ein Sof. Kabbalah, because I said we were going to talk about the spherot, the spherotic system, and how they apply to us every day, how each one of those spherot become a midah, becomes a spiritual aspect that the Musar tradition asks us to live into and asks us to question ourselves about all the time. And I'm hoping it's why you're here, because we're going to give Jewish language to some really important concepts that come out of Kabbalah. It is not Kabbalah. I'm not asking you to believe. I'm not asking you to trust. I'm not asking you to say, okay, Kabbalah's real. It doesn't matter. It's a language. This is Jewish language for stuff that happens in traffic. 
For Jewish language that happens in the grocery store line, because mine, as I said last time, my line always stops. <laughs> the tape always runs out on my line. Or someone has a product that they're not actually buying, they're returning. Or like all the stories that make, oh, really? <laughs> that are disruptive to our lives. All of these techniques um, come through the language of Kabbalah, but it gets developed over a long time to be really important and instructful for us uh, as Jews. So, Ensof, if there's only Ensof, the Kabbalists say, where's the room for the universe? If everything is God, then there's no room, really, for the universe. There's no room for people. There's no room for mosquitoes. God help us all. There's no room for right, bugs or birds or trees. There's no room for anything if everything is Ein Sof. And that's where we started last week. Ein Sof is everything. That's all there is, is Ein Sof. Endlessness. The unending. So I love that, that science actually, for me, harmonizes with this, the Big Bang. Okay, the Big Bang. What is the flipping Big Bang? No one can tell me. Because guess what? Scientists don't know. They only know what happened a fraction of a second after the Big Bang. No, and I'm not trying to be an apologist for God here. I'm saying we really don't know. Like, what precedes the Big Bang? What, what, what makes that move towards happening? No clue. All right. So you have Ein Sof. So the Kabbalists understood this. They're like, duh. There's Ein Sof. There's nothing. And then there's something. The Kabbalists get that. Okay, even scientists get that. There's nothing. And then there's something. So what is the something? It has to originate for the Kabbalists in Ein Sof. It has to originate in the divine. And I'm not saying the divine makes a decision. That's not where we have to go. But we have to say it originates in this kind of cosmic pre-soup. Because there's no soup if there's no elements to the soup, right? A soup has chicken, celery, onions, carrots. But if you don't have celery, carrots, or onions, or chicken yet, what the heck is soup? Okay, you get my point. So the Kabbalists say, ain't soap actually... There's some movement towards a willingness in... Shut up, Kayla. There's a willingness into being. So from nothing, unending nothing, to being, there's a shift. There's a move. We don't know what that is. We don't know why that is. And for me, that lines up exactly with the Big Bang. We don't know what happened that stuff starts moving towards stuff existing, right? This moment of explosion. All right. For the Kabbalists, there's 10 circles. So I'm not going to draw them all, but you can imagine. Because this is how I prefer to think of the spherotic system. I'm going to give you a map, or you already have it in your lap probably. Um, of what the spherotics don't open it and don't look at it. <laughs> Which is why I'm like, I'll hand it out when I want to. Um, you'll have a map of the spherotic system, but really for me, this is what works best. From Ain Sof, from nothing, comes some kind of initiative of will for the rabbis, for our tradition. It's 
of love, love leads to a, a, a willing constriction of Ein Sof to the very edges. And this is called Simsum. Simsum is an act of God's loving contraction to the edges so that there would be room for something to exist. When I went to my doctor's office eight months pregnant, I sat in my chair waiting for my appointment like every good patient does. And I looked at the chart, and here's the baby at this big, and this big, and this big, and this big. And now, now I was eight months pregnant. I'm looking at the chart, and I'm like, where are my lungs? <laughs> where is my spleen? On this chart, all I see is a big space created for the baby. Where's me? Where am I in this chart? Pregnancy is tsum. And you know, I'm adopted, so like I have lots of relationships to like all kinds. It's not just about pregnancy, I swear. So, but that is an image that sticks with me. Like, where, where are my kidneys on this poster? Nowhere, because it's all baby from here to here. So where are my parts that are supposed to work? Where's my liver in this? Tzimtzum is God saying, I push myself to the outermost edges because I want the possibility of something else to exist. So if you think about, for, and for me, it, it doesn't have to be this, but think about other images for you. For me, it was the pregnant belly. Like, so all the organs kind of get sucked to the side for God. All of God gets sucked to the side so that there can be a generative space. That's Kabbalah. And Kabbalah says, so then God pours God's self back into this, but the system designed to contain that light didn't exactly work. And there were vessels uh, that were created to hold the light of Ein Sof. They didn't exactly work. They shattered. And everything that we have, the pews that you're sitting on, are klipot. They are uh, shards of the vessels that didn't hold, that broke apart. Your job sitting on those pieces of, sh- of uh, vessel is to uplift the divine within it and return it to its source. So something, which I love about Kabbalah, something about the divine breaks in allowing the possibility of all of this to exist, which explains a lot to me. Thank you very much. Like, I can hold that. I can totes hold that. Something broke, right? In moving from divine unity, something kind of broke. There was a cosmic accident. And here we have Ein Sof pouring its light into the ten spherot. So last week we talked about Ein Sof. This week we're talking about the first of the spherot that... In- oh, and I am the only one without a packet. And do we have my original highlighted packet? Does someone have my highlighted packet? Nobody does. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Um, would you ask 
Maybe Eleanor, if she has it? Thank you, Bert. Okay. So, we go, oh my gosh, this is so like esoteric. This is so out there. This is something I can't even believe or get my head around. Well, can you get your head around a double helix? Because that's reality, people. And thank you for being honest up there, Mr. VP of our executive committee. Thank you for being honest and saying, no, I can't get my head around a double helix because frankly, I can't either. The scientists in the room are going to look at this example of DNA and go, well, of course. (laughs) Now a lot of things make sense, right? And we buy this as a language, even if we don't understand it. Will you agree with me that we buy the double helix uh, DNA evidence? We buy that as true, right? Will you agree with me? Even if we don't understand it, this is true. Okay. So how big a leap is it really to go from four letters that arrange themselves in pairs Right to creating reality. How far a stretch is it to say, maybe four of these like actually combine in some ways to also create reality? That's where the rabbis live. This is where the rabbis live. And this is pre-DNA, by the way. The rabbis understood the spherot as working together. They are the letters of the DNA double helix. And they create, I mean, the the four letters are the amino acids. That's what you see here reflected. The different ways the four letters, the four amino acids can, can combine and interact so that it causes all kinds of crazy things like blue eyes. Like eyes with no color. That's actually what blue eyes are, right? Eyes with no color. What the heck is that? My daughter looks into my eyes. My daughter has black eyes, dark chocolate eyes. She looks into my eyes all the time with like this deep fascination because it's like, how is that even possible, Mickey? How is that possible that you have these gorgeous, amazing ice blue eyes? That's not normal. That's not how things work. But apparently if you put enough things in combination, guess what? That's what happens. And so the anomaly can be explained because of the way things interact and the pairings and then the pairings of the pairings of the pairings, yeah? Yeah. All right, I hope I've confused you enough now um, to invite you to look at, and this is uh, coming from uh, the book God is a Verb by David Cooper, Rabbi David Cooper. Uh, And he says there's really only four amino acids. So if we take, and I'm not looking at the spherotic system yet, if we take four critical spherot, it kind of matches up in terms of theory. Just, Just jump the science God divide and go, okay, what if we played with some other stuff that aren't just amino acids, right? And if you do that, what you find is... The relationship between the spherot. So if you look at this next page, flip your page over, and you see that he gives you this spherotic system. But just like within every cell, there's a copy of all the DNA. In every single cell, there's a copy of all 10 spherot. Does that make sense? Uh, it doesn't make sense. No worries. So with it, let's say this is like a 
a bunch of cells. Within every cell, there would be the four amino acids in different combinations, right? Within every single cell is the complete double helix of your DNA. And what Kabbalah says is within every single aspect of us is the entire spherotic system. Okay, a copy of the entire spherotic system. So, we are tonight going to look at the first of the spherot, the first of the midot, the first of the ways into this whole business about how does any of this apply to my life. So I want you to flip over till you get to page 77 of The Way into Jewish Mystical Tradition by Rabbi Larry Kushner. And you see he starts with Ein Sof, because that's where everything starts, right? We begin at Ein Sof. That's where it all starts, Ein Sof. Yes? Huh? Infinity. Infinity, of course. By definition, of course. Infinite, no end. Infinite is the definition of unending. Absolutely, Milka, absolutely. All right, so Ein Sof starts everything. Now, this is the spherotic system according to Kushner. We have lots of different understandings of the spherotic system. I'm not trying to convince you about anything about the spherotic system. I'm trying to give us language and access as the Kabbalists had, as the rabbis after Kabbalah had, after the people doing Musar tradition have until today. Mark Edelstein, an example, someone who has experienced what it means to sit with Musar and Avad, a council where you report about how you're doing on any particular midah. We call it therapy. We call it coaching. My relationship with my therapists, my relationship with my executive coach has been to me some of the most healing relationships I've ever had. Because what they ask is, how you doing? And they expect a truthful answer. And they know when you're we're projecting this to a lot of people. They know when you are copping out. When you say, oh, I'm doing great on this, and then they press you a little, right? Anyone good at what they do if they're trying to help you grow? And it could be a parent to a child. It could be a, a child to a parent saying, if we're really going to call each other into responsibility and really call each other into growth, then it means I have to challenge you on, well, that's funny because you slapped me last week out of nowhere with a comment that really hurt. So I need to talk to you about, about like calling you into responsibility for the ways that you're living into or not living into a certain value. All right. So ain't so. That's where we start. Keter. We're not going to go there right now. Chochmah or Bina. We're not going there right now. These are the three higher spherot. I've given you um, Kushner's writing about those higher spherot. Right? Keter, the crown, the second and third, Chochmah, Bina, are modes of knowing. We're going to go to the fourth and fifth, if you look at the left side of your page. Chesed and Gevura are the arms. So, that, by the way, this spherotic system is represented in the body. If we are created in the image of the divine, well, that must mean something about our bodies as well, because Judaism is an incorporation 
is, is a corporeal tradition and honors the sanctity and the holiness and the divinity of the body. So chokhma bina uh, keter, all of that is like a, the upper part of the body. We get, but I want to talk. We're going to start um, talking, and we're going to do our course on these different aspects of the lower, lower. But that's why I like this model. They're not lower if you do this, right? They're outer, right? They're less central. They're outer, which I like a lot because I'm not an. I tend to think up down is like good, bad, and better, worse, and I don't like that. Um, and I love this idea. And by the way, Native Americans living in Duluth, Minnesota, northern Minnesota, I learned that that's how they see time. In many Native American, and they would like to be called Indian, um, frankly, in uh, northern Minnesota, so I want to be honest to them, but I want to explain that. So in Indian uh, tradition, um, time is seen as cyclical, not as linear. And the only thing that like disrupts kind of the circle is if you die before adolescence. Once you achieve adolescence, bar or bat mitzvah, I would say for us, right, that, that resonates as a spot, as a point of, of importance. Um, everything past that is about how many circles there are in the trunk of the tree. Like how expansive the circle is, not how long the line is. And you're not getting closer to the end, you're filling out which I love. Like, I, I can't really explain it. I don't want to get into, into it a lot, but it's really important for me that I want to share with you is the idea that time is circular, and so, and, and for us as Jews, a spiral, because we hope it's, we're achieving something as we go through those cycles every year. Um, but that um, it's expansive rather than we're getting closer to the end the longer we go. All right. So we're going to be talking today about chesed. Tonight we're talking about chesed. So if you look at chesed, which is on uh, Kushner's page 77, number five. Yes? Yes. All right. So keter, chokhma, bina, these are all ways of knowing, ways of understanding, which are important and can be discussed at great length, but we only have nine weeks, nine classes, and so we're going to do the, the lower, the lower, the outer nine. And we begin with chesed. So tell me what you know about chassidut, about being a chassid. What, what do you associate with the word chassid? chassid? Hmm? Wisdom. Wisdom. Interesting. Because that's in the top three. Yeah. It's a way. Right? So wisdom is in the top three, not chassid. So when we talk about gemilut chassidim, acts of, you generally hear it defined as loving kindness acts of loving kindness it's a horrible translation and unlike usually I don't have a great alternative to how to define chesed that is not defined as loving kindness um it's actually really difficult for me because I kind of get chesed. I was raised with the idea of chesed, um, but, but it does not easily uh, work with the English language and with the ways we would talk about that. So let's look, flip over. Are you on this page or another page? Go to this page. I'm sorry? Social intelligence. Social intelligence. Ha. 
So what's the difference between intelligence and social intelligence? Because intelligence is in those you know, top three sphere. What's, what's, when you add the word social, what does that do to intelligence? So you just moved. You made the move that the rabbis make from intelligence, understanding, wisdom, all those things which are amazing and necessary, you made the move they make. Chesed comes directly out of those three, as does Gevura. We're going to talk about Gevura next time. Chesed and Gevura both come out of those intellectual wisdom, blah, 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 into a place of, what did you say? Compassion. So now we're in the realm of feeling. Now we're in the realm of emotion. We take the intellect is critical and important, but, but what we're moving to in chesed is, right, the emotion of compassion. All right. So look at this bottom paragraph right above the scales, right above the sphero triplets. Chesed is the quality of expansiveness and generosity, the part of us that yields even though another part says no. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. <laughs> like some part says, <clears throat> and some part says, "Okay, I'm going to let them cut into my lane." <laughs> right? My initial reaction is, "I don't think so." I've been sitting in this lane, as I just said to my daughter the other day when we were shopping. I've been sitting in this lane because that's the right thing to do, and I am right here. And these people who want to cut in last minute—that's garbage. They passed all these cars, including us. Who have been sitting? <laughs> then there's a part of us that goes, oh, they're trying to get some, well, whatever, right? Is it really what? Let them cut in. So, chesed is the quality of expansiveness and generosity, the part of us that yields, even though another part says no. It operates best when there is no self consciousness holding it back. Right, because what's the self-consciousness? I've been waiting in this line. I'm doing the right thing. I'm behaving in ways that are not happy for me, but I did it because that's the right thing to do. How dare that? Right, you get how it goes? Right? The tendency of chesed is to be extremely liberal, willing to try anything. Uncontrolled, however, it has the potential to smother the recipient. Any of us know anything about this? How does it smother? It's all love. It's all compassion. How can it possibly be negative? It denies the choice to the person you're smothering. You're denying them their ability to. I am so loving that I'm going to serve you this dinner whether you like it it or not. Because I slaved all day to make this for you. Right? Like, there's a way our own chesed can be smothering to other people. It can be smothering to the relationship, right? It can be giving away our own power. It's not saying that, and that's what I want to really emphasize about what I love about this system, is that chesed and gevura are in balance. We're going to talk about gevura next week. So we're going to talk about chesed right now. Jim, what did you want to say? Or it could be enabling Chesed can be enabling. I love you, 
And so I'm not going to call you out on the way you just spoke to me. I love you, so I'm not going to call you out on the fact that I know what you were doing last night after I went to bed. Chesed in too large or soft a form does not help the recipient. It can A, smother them, or B, thank you, Jim, for that word, it can enable behaviors that are destructive to the very self that you feel chesed for. How about our own selves? I worked so hard today. I deserve that piece of cake that, by the way, my daughter bought at the dollar store when we went there and made and frosted and served with Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice cream. It's not fair. That's, that's like not fair, right? That's not playing fair. Wait, so my love can be, I want to give you something that you love and it can be a way of enabling us to do things that we really don't want to do and are not good for us, right? That are that we get are not good for us even, but if someone offers it, and now, now my refusal is a limitation of your expression of chesed, that's what enabling is. So do you see where I'm saying it's not a spherotic system that's like, what, she wants us to, it's the truth. This is the truth, and I believe it, and we can call it whatever we want, and we can use different language. You can say, I hate this language, Rabbi. I don't get it. That's fine. What I'm saying is I really understand this language because it's saying to me, if, if you're showing me chesed, there's a part of me that feels pressure, don't I, if I love you, to lean into your offer of chesed? But if you have an over-offering of chesed because you know I have a sweet tooth, Really, it undermines my own ability or desire to live into my own gavura, my own boundaries. Right? All right, Dana? I, just, I had a quick thought for how you said what each of these don't said the chesed. Each of them, within the one, has the ten others. Yes. Chesed, but you can't have chesed without a little bit of wisdom. Right. So Dana's lifting up this chart that we just saw to the right of the page that we're on, right? That every single aspect has within it all 10 other aspects. So what she's saying is, yeah, you have chesed, but chesed should have a little bina, a little understanding about how my body works. I'm actually pre, I'm not, but let's say I'm actually pre-diabetic, right? Bina is an understanding that I can't eat that as an act of chesed from you because my blood sugar is going to go up. Right? My Chochmah says, I'm trying to be rigorous about practices of saying no to things that are not good for me. Right? And so I have to interpret your chesed through the lens of Bina and Chochmah, right? Wisdom and understanding. Right? So, absolutely, Dana, you just lifted up exactly what this chart that looks confusing is saying. That within every single Midah, every single spiritual characteristic, the entire system exists. And our job is to figure out within any single um, midah, any, any personality trait, any spiritual trait, what, what is the information I can glean from the other nine? What's necessary for me to glean from the other nine, for me to act in a way that's going to be most healthful and I mean on every level in this moment. Malga? You know, 
Loka? Thank you for just giving Chesed a little plug there, <laughs> right? <laughs> that that's exactly right. Like that, that we we have to have an expansive, loving, trusting part of ourselves that is ready to have something else happen, right? That um, can only happen with Chesed. Okay, I want to find. Uh, did we just do Kushner 76 and 77? Let's look at page 197. The path of loving kindness. Again, um, this is from the book God is a Verb by Rabbi David Cooper. So that, what do we do with that? Like we've talked about this. We've talked about the idea of it. We've talked about how that exists like, you know, kind of out there in the ether. Okay, that's great. But like what, what does that actually mean? Part of why you're here is because I think I gave you words like meaningful life, like mindfulness, like how do we bring this into our daily lives and our daily practice, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to not deliver on that because I think that's where the beauty is in why any of this matters to us as Jews in 2019 America. The path of loving kindness. The path of generosity was enormously respected by the sages. The Talmud says, however, that, quote, our rabbis taught that loving kindness, gemilut chesed, is superior to charity in three ways. So we lift up tzedakah. Like, we're the Jews. We lift up tzedakah higher than anything. Charity, like, right? We lift that up. We are the champions of tzedakah in the world. It's not when your heart moves you, as it says in Latin, charity. We don't have that word. It's justice. It's righteousness. We lift that up and we have tikkun olam all over the place. That's amazing. Our rabbis taught that loving kindness is superior to charity. And let's look at the ways that that might be true. You don't have to agree. I'm just throwing it out there. Charity can be done only with one's possessions, while loving kindness can be done with one's person and one's possessions. Right? Isn't this true? We can only give tzedakah out of our, out of our stuff, out of what we own. Chesed? Gemilud chasadim acts based in chesed, we can do with a look. Your eyebrows are raised. So I notice you're engaged and a little touched even maybe by what we just read. I can give you the gift of acknowledging that without owning anything. I don't have to give over any of my material wealth to say, wow, like that seemed to resonate for you like, and acknowledge that. We can do it with our body, with our spirit, with our mind, with our emotions, with our willingness to, in my case, my coach tells me to sit back because I tend to lean in like when I get, right, what, Amy, if you can just learn when that, can you sit back and allow the other person some space? Right to explore what's going on and just kind of let them have that and not need to lean into it quite so hard. We can do it with our person, with our body, with our attitude, with our expression. How about, how about with our smile? Like I was today at another synagogue, which I'm not going to say because this is a podcast that gets downloaded. Bert tells me by a lot of people. 
<laughs> I was at another synagogue, and, and, and I'm not kidding. Like, I, they have the same security thing we do, whether you have the sticker that you have to wear with your driver's license image, whatever. That's fine. That was fine. So, but like, I came out of my meeting, the board of rabbis, and the president of the board of rabbis. I come out of a board of rabbis program, and like, these congregants that are pulling into the synagogue are looking at me like, who are you? Who are you? Like, kind of like, who are you? Who are you? you came into ours? Like, who are you? And like, like in my face in a way that I'm like, this does not feel really good. Like, what? What's going on here? Am I like encroaching on their turf? Like, what? Why would a straight? And I was dressed pretty nicely. I had on a nice Italian coat over this that I bought at the Jewish Goodwill. Like I, I looked good. And I'm like, I Gucci frames on. The same ones that Lori has. But like, like so, what's happening right now? What what is happening for them? Right? That I. But we communicate, don't we? Like all the time. Our eyes, our posture. We chesed can be something we live into and we can notice when we're getting you know lenient we can notice when we're giving an expression that's like really my synagogue my synagogue parking lot I've parked there twice you you're in the space I parked it's like right we we chesed is something that we have we can have an awareness of in every single interaction and the rabbis encourage us to lean in to chesed. To when we feel that thing come up, to go, oh, look. <laughs> Wait. Uh, my shoulders are wrapped around my ears. <laughs> I'm leaning so far forward, I'm about to fall out of my chair. And just to notice, and it's not with judgment. Mindfulness is about not judging. It's about saying, oh, look at that. And actually holding that with some curiosity. Okay, Amy, so what's happening right now? Adam, I know. I know. Thank you for being here. It's a long day. What's happening for you right now that you are this activated, that your shoulders are wrapped around your... And and here's the harder part. The person who glares at me like that in the parking lot, can I look back and go, Hi. I just had a lovely experience in your synagogue. Thank you for hosting us. I'm the president of the board of rabbis. It was lovely having an event here. I hope that we can do that again in the future. I didn't do that today because I was tired and I was hungry and I didn't know where lunch was coming from and I had a list when I got back here, right? So I didn't do that. The teaching is not to judge that, it's to say, huh, So because of all this stuff that was going on for you, you couldn't meet that person in a different place and move it to a place of chesed. You need, you know, you were too tired, too hungry, too desperate, too too stressed, too engaged otherwise to really care about how you met this human being. This, hmm? My blood sugar was low. But this is, this is the wisdom of the rabbis. So, Amy, if you didn't know a clear plan for lunch, right? You knew you were going to eat at the board of rabbis meeting in the morning. If you didn't have a clear plan for lunch, probably you should have thought about that on your day off, on Monday, as you looked at your calendar. 
so that you could take something in the car, like my colleague did, pulling out his little containers of everything. <laughs> So that you could have something ready so that your blood sugar doesn't dip so that you can not feel bad. Because it really isn't about how I treated the other person in the parking lot. That's part of it. That's a consequence. But really, you shouldn't let your blood sugar dip that low. There should be a plan. But we don't prioritize. How can I be a person of chesed most of the time? That would mean blood sugar. That would mean going to bed earlier. That would mean turning off the TV earlier. That would mean creating time in my calendar during the day to do email so I'm not doing it at 11 o'clock. At night. So for whatever it is for each of us, fill in the blanks. The rabbis are saying those things are directly impactful on how much a person of a chesed I can be. Did your colleague share any of his food? <laughs> he did not. What he did share was he took his wife's lunch bag, and she was not happy about that. <laughs> Kayla? Uh, so I may be a little conflicted because there's, like, a part of me that's, like, yeah, but, like, I also, like, in this practice, I also don't have to take things personally. And so I don't know if that's, like, an out. What are you saying? I don't know if that's an out. <laughs> I don't, like, I'm not trying to use it as an out, so if, if I am, if you could bring that to, like, you know, the forefront for me. But like at the same like a, another way to for me process that how I have processed it is like maybe that's just how their face looks. And so there's nothing more to it than that. It's just maybe they're not even aware that's right. So the path of Chesed says, why am I reacting to them looking at me? Maybe they really, really like my silk shirt. And my incredible, it's really incredible, this Italian jacket that I got at the Jewish Goodwill, so, um, which is the Beit Teshuvah, right, store. So um, maybe they really, it's truly, like, as an example, maybe they really liked my jacket and you know, my coat and my look, and they were like, wow, what's a young person doing here on our campus when, you know, six cars of, of elders are showing up? They might be saying why are you here, right? I want to see your stick. So maybe they're leaning 100%. The path of chesed says, if I take it personally and react, I've already left chesed. I've already left loving kindness and gone to ego. I've gone to, you know, whatever the parlance is you want to use. I've gone to, it's a challenge. Like my daughter was looking my dog in the eyes and going, why isn't she responding to me? She licks you. She's looking at you, but not at me. I'm like, you're looking her right in the eyes to a dog. That's a challenge. Like you think it's loving, but what you're doing to her is saying, I can eat you at any moment because I outrank you. How do you think she feels about that? She looks at me. You outrank her, right? So, right. So, exactly. Like when 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 we go to those places of reaction, it's always always taking it personally. It's always about stepping out of chesed because chesed's always about how does Kayla see it. Can I put myself in Kayla's shoes? Because that's compassion. That's empathy. Can I put myself in Gloria's shoes? In Adam's shoes. He's so tired and he's here anyway. Right, because stepping out of chesed means I'm boring him. He's like, why did I come? And I told her I didn't want to come, but she dragged me anyway. Like, all the stories we go to that are, right, reactive are all about stepping out of chesed and stepping into all of our crazy, like all of our stuff. And I'm not, I'm not, the rabbis really encourage us not to judge. Mindfulness practice really just says, can you notice, Amy, your own reaction? 
They're looking at you, but you're the one reacting. Can you just notice what's happening? And can you, and how am I talking about it to you today, tonight? Because I noticed it earlier. I noticed I was reacting and I got in my car and went, okay, calm down, <laughs> take a breath. What was that about that? You're like getting all crazy about these people looking like, like that's, that's the path of, of course it goes up to the top sphere of wisdom, understanding. It, it, right, it goes up to being people who are spiritually and emotionally and intellectually developed. And that's the practice the rabbis want to give us. Ways to, to check in with that. What do right. rabbis call conscious? Because what you're saying is consciousness. You're kind of, so what, how do they articulate consciousness? You know, I don't know that they have a word for kind of the overarching thing that we would call mindfulness practice. You know, like being conscious of our reactions, taking a moment, taking some space, dropping into body, dropping into mind and heart. I, I, I'll have to think about it, Jim. Like um, awareness. Awareness. I, I I don't know that there's an. Mark, help me think. But I, I don't know that there's an overarching term. They tend to give us this whole. System, not just system, they, they give us a rich language of identifying what's happening and identifying what's the cure, right? If I'm in reactivity, chesed is the invitation to expansiveness, to compassion. Even, um, which uh, one of our teachers in your packet says, even, I think it's Kushner, says joy, it's about a joyful love, a joyful compassion, right? And it, there's an energy in it that compassion doesn't really express. Chesed has this kind of active energy that's about joy and about loving in an active, engaged sense. And it's about diagnosing. That's what mindfulness is, right? Consciousness is about diagnosing what, and, and not because we get up in our heads, but because we drop into the heart. We drop into self. We drop into the breath. We expand enough to go, okay, I'm just going to hold what's happening and let me discern. Because sometimes it's going to be the opposite of chesed that we need to lean into. I have a teenager. So I live in the land of needing often against my own desire to lean into Gavura. Next class, his conversation is about Gavura, limits, boundaries, strength, right? How do we say no? When do we say no? Um, I need to lean into Gavura a lot more than I want to because I work so much. I really want to lean into Chesed with my 15-year-old, but it won't serve her. So... So it's not always about leaning into chesed, right? It's about the consciousness and the awareness to say, okay, what's happening? Let me settle down and get out of all my stuff about reaction and respond to the moment as best I can, given what I can read is happening in my own spherotic system, if you will. Yeah? So kavana is a very important word for the rabbis. Kavana means intention. So my kavana, when I come out of chesed, needs to really be about the other person. Not about serving cake, because I want to feel like, look how loving I am. I worked on this cake all day. I bought the Haagen-Dazs, right? Because that's now about me 
right? So yes, kavana, my intention is really important. My intention needs to, about, to be about what is the best way I bring chesed to bear in your life and in your relationship to me right now? It might be to say, you know what? I made this cake for our teenage daughter who needs a little more flesh on her bones, I'm just going to say. Um, but I'm putting it away because I know it will tempt you and I know it's not good for your prediabetes, right? Like, so th- that's about checking kavana. Is it really about loving intention or is it about I want to feel loving? I am having a lot of trouble understanding these concepts as separate from judgment because a lot of them sound, if you're trying to move towards something, chesed or whatever the concept is, you're inevitably moving away from something as well. How do you do that without judging whatever it is you're moving away from? So I think the only thing I would say is rather than use the word judgment, could you use the word discernment? Judgment in our culture tends to mean, and I'm an English major, so like I really love the English language as much as I love the Hebrew language. Judgment tends to come with a weight of good, bad, right, wrong, mine, your, like, um, discern, yes, all of this needs the higher spherot of discernment. Chochma, bina, keter that we didn't talk about so much, right? Coming from Ein Sof, the first ones are about discernment. How do I bring my intellectual kavana, which is heart, you know, and my intention, how do I bring all of that to bear on the decision in this moment about, and if you go back to your scale, um, you know, uh, diagram, where the needle needs to move, right? So if we look at the scale between chesed and gevura, where does it need to move? That requires discernment. It's not saying we disengage mind. We disengage all kinds of things that will bring um, knowledge and judgment, right, to bear on this. We're we're not suspending that because it's like as Dana said so beautifully. It's all the sphere working at the same time, which means keter bina chokma need to all be influencing where we're moving in the chesed gevura line. Because if you look at if you look at I hope I gave you something that I liked that I wanted to give you. Did I give it to you? Maybe not so much. Okay. So if you look at the lines between all the spherotes, right, there are lines every which way. From Chochmah Bina down to Chesed and to Gevura, lines between Chesed and Gevura. I'm going to stress the balance lines because we only have so much time uh, and only so many courses, that, you know, classes in this series. So, like, we're gonna we're gonna focus on the kind of the binary, you know, move horizontally, but but they move in every direction. So Chochmah might be what's needed to discern in this moment: Do I need more Chesed or more Gevura? It might be. Right, a different aspect that about kavana. What's my intention? I need to check my intention in this moment. Like so, it's about figuring out which, right, leaning truly into which sphera is going to help me understand. And again, I, I don't want to get wedded to the sphero. I'm just exposing you to the language that the rabbis in our tradition use, which I find very helpful because it's not a psychoanalytic model. 
It's not Freudian, right? I have a lot of problems with Freud. I think there's a lot of insights in Freud. I think there's a lot of insights in every model, right? I'm giving you the Jewish one. The, the benefit you're getting from getting the Jewish one is that it's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of our people leaning into what these words and these concepts and these orientations of our own selves mean in the world, right? All right, Gloria, did you have your hand up? Renee, yes. So just to understand how the mindfulness plays in, because that's not, I think you said it wasn't actually part of Kabbalah, but, but, but it's sort of, it's implied, because you can't go through all of this unless you are paying attention. Because what I keep thinking is, for all the examples that you give of when you don't have a positive interaction with someone, or we have a interaction where the intention is focused on oneself rather than someone else. I mean, a lot of it is just knee-jerk. Like, that's what I always do without being mindful. So to have all of this play out, you really have to be mindful. Yes. So I, so I think mindfulness is a really important word, and it's why Mark really felt we needed to use that word in the advertising of this course, is because it really, it's the word we use right now in Jewish, liberal, progressive, communal life to talk about what traditionally was kavana, right? Kavana means intention. I have to be mindful of my intent, right? So the traditional language is kavana, but no one understands what kavana is. This is the class on kavana and how, like, like, right? Mindfulness, I think, is the buzzword of our time that tries to get at what our tradition has always seen as kavana, intention, kind of consciousness, but like what, there isn't really a Hebrew bigger word. Kavanaugh's probably closest. Like, what's my intention in this moment? Is it to really be present to you, or is it to win? Or is it for me to be the hero? For me to be the savior? Because here's my cape, and look how gorgeous it is on me. Right? So, right, like, Kavanaugh is about checking what is truly my intention in this moment. So it's one of the closest words, but mindfulness, I think, is is the word of our time that helps us. It's the trigger word that says, okay, I'm going to drop out of my reactivity and I'm going to drop into instead wanting to respond to, to the other, right? I, thou, rather than I, it, as Boober might say it, right? If I'm an I, thou, I really am responding to you, Renee, as a unique human being with your own day and your own blood sugar and your own stresses and your own traffic and your own kids, who are amazing, um, but like you, you and your husband, who's amazing. So you have all of that. Um, it, it's about responding to the uniqueness of that, right? That that has to be my kavana according to living a responsible, respectful, mature, spiritually evolved religious life according to, to Judaism. Kayla, yes. Are we getting to the other two of the three? Uh, other two of what three? You were talking about the three. You were saying charity can be done only with possession. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I have to see what time we're at. Okay. So a hand over here. My quick question, or just a reflection again. So you said Kavanaugh, consciousness. I, I mean, would the ideal, without making judgment, be to do the reflection 
in the moment, or do you go off and meditate on Friday morning and reflect, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. No, the, the practice on Friday morning is meant to support okay. the expanding, and I love this about what my teacher, Rabbi Sheila Peltz-Weinberg said, um, it's like, it's about expanding the time between your comment or your look at me and my reaction. It's about expanding the Friday morning practice is about expanding that time from half a second to one second. Like just doubling the time. A half a second, you look at me, I react, right? That takes half a second. If we could double that time to just be one full second, that I don't react. It's it's about building more and more practice on Friday morning. Yes, it's about I should not have snapped at that person. 100%, right? But then we're supposed to let that go, right? And and hold that with non-judgment and like create space around that. And so the, the creating of space and of the ability to settle down and not be reactive to our own thoughts and our own anxiety and our own lists and our own worries. Jim hasn't gotten his check and I was gonna check on that. And now he's gotta come to my office after this class because I promised him I would check on that. If we can like drop out of our anxiety for half a second longer, it increases our ability to live into chesed or the discernment that we need to live into more gavura right in the moment. Does that make sense? It's to, uh, sort of like to expand But space between the match and the flame, says Mark, which is which is exactly exactly right. All right, so I'm going to let you. Um, we are at eight fifteen. Oh my goodness, how does that happen? Um, I want to go to this uh, second paragraph on the top of one ninety eight. Acts of loving kindness are not just for humans, by the way, said I to my daughter about the dog. <laughs> Our kind treatment of animals comes under the category of pain of living animals. That is for us a value. And I'm going to say this is including decisions about can I live in the chesed deciding whether or not to take out my Lexus SUV tonight. Right? Could Judy really drive me there? Do I need to go anywhere today at work? I really don't. Judy could really drive my car all day and so it's not two cars on the road. Because every time I lean into my selfishness around, but I want to have my living room couch that I drive around, my leather living room couch that smells really good that I drive around, I'm causing suffering to other beings. This goes into like what I believe you were saying at uh, Torah study last week about how we can make the like idea of kashrut more applicable to today as well. So there's your answer. Love the tie-in, Kayla, to Torah study. Love that. Um, right. So ha- right. The conversation is not just about what we eat because we're Jewish, but what would we eat and what would we not eat, what would we buy, what would we not buy based on Jewish values applied to the sourcing of those products. This is very much the same thing. Chesed is not just to other humans. 
Chesed is about I have a responsibility to all life on this planet, right? And right now, for me, the political discourse is so troubling around the denial of climate change being a result of human behavior. I just am appalled and shocked, and I am willing to go so far. Bert, you might have to edit this out later, but, but I'm willing to go so far as to say it's sinful. Yes, yes. I think it's sinful behavior to say climate change always happens. There's huge swings in interglacial period. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get that. Guess what? It's never happened this fast. The ice changes in the Arctic that leaving mother polar bears stranded from their babies has never happened before this fast so that it eradicates species and their ability to survive. It's our behavior and it's sinful to deny that responsibility. That comes out of a sense of chesed. We have a loving relationship to the rest of life on this planet and out of that we accept our responsibility for their well-being or their eradication, right? Based or their survival based on our behavior. So I think it's really important to note that chesed is not just about human being to human being as tough as that is. Um, Also, the rabbis are big on what does it mean to do chesed for the dead. The rabbis are huge on this. The rabbis say an act of chesed, the, the rabbis say, like, if you are doing anything and a funeral procession passes by, you're supposed to stop what you're doing and join the funeral procession. And if a wedding procession and a funeral procession meet... Wedding goes first, because we affirm life. But we're supposed to stop what we're doing and join the funeral procession. It doesn't matter if you knew the dead. Except if you're in the wedding procession. So, except if you're in the wedding procession, and then Chaim would say in Yiddish, two tuchuses can't dance at two weddings, and it's a lovely Yiddish expression that I don't know how to say. Is that for the person who's dead or for the other people in the procession? So I think for the rabbis, they don't separate that that honoring the person who's deceased by definition supports the mourners, right, who are mourning that person. But what I love about it is that you don't have to know the deceased. So all y'all who show up so that there's a minion for people to say Kaddish, you're not just accidentally in the room. You are the ways that a family is given. You are doing an act of chesed by showing up to give a family a community in which to say Kaddish. So the next time you're like, do I really want to go to services on Friday night? I'm feeling kind of tired. I'm feeling kind of hungry. Like, figure it out. But, but sometimes the act of chesed is to say, I'm going to go be there, not just for me, but for the other people in the community who need me to be there for them. Because somebody's sick. And we have a lot of that, Right? The longer we live, the more things we're treating, the, the more sickness we have, the more death and loss. Like, that's just going to always be part of who we are. And so the rabbis really see chesed as not only to the living, but um, to the dead. And so the thing I want to close with is acts of loving kindness on page 198 do not have to be overt. A person may not even realize that he or she has done something. We can help someone indirectly by acting as an intermediary. We can casually hint to another at something we know will help a person. 
We can pray for the person in the quiet of our own hearts. When we concentrate mind and heart on the source of sources, blessings can be drawn from the depths of the cistern, the source of life, the stream from Eden. Prayer draws this blessing from above to below. Some of us actually really trust and believe. And if you've ever had somebody sick, which I've had both parents be sick and die in my life, um, if you've ever struggled yourself, some of us really believe that having other people hold us in their care, other people naming us when they pray for healing does something. And I'm just going to say capital S. I don't know what the heck it is. I can't explain it. I don't need to, but I trust and I know that I have felt this shift when people say, we're praying for you. We're praying for your dad. He didn't get well. He died. But they held me through his illness by saying, we're praying for him. We're praying for you. Um, there's, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not somebody who says prayers like, okay, so we convince God, okay, that one's going to live, that one's going to, you know that's not our theology here. I do think when we hold each other in our care, it doesn't always have to be overt and it doesn't always have to be something the other person knows. I think acts of chesed are every time someone's name comes up and you go, Renee's sons, aren't they amazing? They're just, they're just great. And just move on. Like, that we, that we, we add and infuse some chesed into people's lives that they don't even know about, right? And that, for me, is sometimes the funnest part of my job, is I get to do that a lot. You know, I get to say, Marcia DePaula, oh my God, she's so incredible. What she does for this community that nobody sees, that nobody knows, she does it quietly. That Judas Ubit called about Elaine Swartz being okay after her surgery. Like, she's such a good friend, and I so appreciate that she took seriously the need to report to people. Like, just spreading that kind of chesed, right, is an amazing thing we can do all the time to shift. And if you think about the toxicity of our time, if you think about the vitriol of our time, chesed is needed more than ever in all kinds of indirect ways, right? Forget the direct person who disagrees with you and voted for the other side. (laughs) The sitra achra, the dark side, like forget about that. Because that's hard, right? But like we can really kind of drop these love bombs, right? Like into conversations and into um, just being a little more generous in our speech and our assessment and a little gentler in our own. And I want to close, I really will close here. Um, a little gentler in our approach to ourselves. I'm serious about this. I think we're really hard on ourselves right now. I didn't do enough. I could have said this. I should have done that. I would do it differently next. And we re, I don't know about you, we replay the conversation and oh, if I had it. To, and it's like 600 times later that I have the perfect answer that would have been the perfect response. Like, okay, really? How, how helpful <laughs> is that? Like expenditure of energy is that? really hopeful? If it helps inform my next conversation, of course. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Um, I'm saying I would like us to all be a little gentler with our assessments of ourselves and the way we talk about ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves and to employ a little more chesed 
um, in our own uh, looking at ourselves in the mirror and our own um, evaluating how we're doing um, on a day-to-day basis, especially when the lights go off and it's quiet. And for me, when the TV finally goes off and the email finally goes dark, um, if we could be a little more um, chesedic <laughs> about our kavanah, about our intention for how we hold ourselves and our spouses and our dogs and our um, and our children and our friends and like if we could just just quietly it might be a little bit more focused on on a little bit of chesed um, I, I think it would go a long way to making everything feel a little bit more gentle um, and would take the edge off a lot of right now what I feel is like really cutting and biting and leading us into places that, that we really truly don't want to go we're just kind of right pulled there uh, and we have the capacity say the rabbis to do something about that to be aware to be mindful so we're going to take a moment again we're going to uncross I invite you to uncross and just notice what does that do do I sit habitually that way do I cross one leg over the other do I do them equally what does it mean to uncross my arms what does it mean to be vulnerable what does it mean to open up So we're going to take a moment to sit and just notice what's happening in the mind. It's probably going, no, 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 let's chatter, which is what the mind does. It's what it's designed to do. Mindfulness is an invitation to say, okay, there's chatter, that's interesting. Planning, regretting, analyzing, Did I get from tonight what I thought I was going to get? Did it go the way I wanted it to go? All the stuff we do is natural. It's okay. But we take a moment to drop out of mind and into heart. To take a moment to be aware of the breath. Coming in and leaving the body all on its own. The rabbis say, nishima, breath, is related to nishama, soul. We are breathed by the universe. We don't breathe. We don't intend it. It just happens. The divine is breathing us into existence in every single moment. That's how we're still here. So we take a moment to be grateful for our presence here, that we're well enough to be here, that we have other people ready to respect and hold our experience, that we have curiosity as a community to engage, that we have sages who went before us on whose shoulders we stand that have gifted us language and ways of thinking Jewishly about what it means to be responsible and healthy and whole right now in this moment. May the Holy One of Blessing who blessed our foremothers and our forefathers, whoever they may be, our teachers, our mentors, 
our loving guides, our companions. May that same source bless us as we dig, as we seek, as we commit to trying to live lives of greater depth and meaning. May we contribute to a world that so desperately needs chesed, loving, joyful, energetic compassion. This is how we will be malachim, messengers, change agents in our world for the better. And let us say together, Amen. Amen.